20. Featuring. Zone World, episode 20. I guess this week is DDM. I really like this conversation we had. I split it into two parts. Part one, just me and him. Part two, me, him, and Paul Hudson of his group, Bond Street District. This episode is sponsored by the Lineup Room, a recording and mixing studio located in Baltimore, Maryland. Check them out at lineuproom.com. As always, the art is by Mike Riley. Check him out, mikerileycomics.com. Two announcements before we get it started. This Thursday in Baltimore, Lord Grunge, Future People, Glitterous, Mickey Free, and Echo. That show's going down at the wind-up space. Going to be real tight. That's grunge of my group Shark Tank and, of course, of Grand Buffet. Then Saturday, Friends Records five-year anniversary party. I'm playing day two, which is Saturday, at the Auto Bar. So don't miss that. Let's get started with part one. Yeah, I grew up in northwest Baltimore. You know, we lived like... We lived like what near Park Heights Garrison. Uh, we lived over on the northeast side, like near Lock Raven, um, for a period of time. Um, I kind of lived everywhere in Baltimore City. You honestly, did? yeah. You name what? it, I've lived there. Why'd you move around so? Well, growing up, we moved around a lot. You know, my home life wasn't really stable as far as financially, so mm. we moved a lot anyway, living with um, family members at times, things yeah. like that, you know. Um, so, you know, with that becomes a lot of moving. Like, um, we didn't really get stable as far as, uh, you know, my parent, my parents, my mother, and my stepfather, until I probably got in high school. Yeah. Oh, okay. hmm And what did your parents do? Well, my mom, um, she, when I was younger, like when I was first like come, you know, born or whatever, she uh, worked at like a bank and she was like a teller and then she did like retail customer service and then she was a CEO for a couple of years. Um, And then like around high school, she started working for Hopkins and she's been working there ever since. Okay. And was it like? Just your mom? Well, my stepfather was around. Um, My little brother's dad, he's been with my mom. They've been together since, um, I want to say, 88. Okay. Yeah, Yeah. so they've been around for, you know, for a while. They've been together. And, like, like what kind of kid were you growing up? Oh, dear. I was such a stupid kid. Like, I was a (laughs) buffoon, okay? Like, uh, I was, you know... I was very aware, like, early on, um, I was aware that, you know, I wasn't going to necessarily have as much as everybody, but I still kind of lived in a fantasy world. Like, I always lived for the fantasy. So, you know, I watched a lot of cartoons, a lot yeah. of TV. I was very much a latchkey kid. Yeah. Um So a lot of things, like, I didn't have, I had this warped sense of reality, Mm. That was really bizarre. 
Like, I watched a lot of, you know, Power Rangers and Sailor Moon and, like, yeah. stuff like that. So, like, my sense of reality was very real, but very warped at the same time. It was odd. Like, mm. I was I was a, a odd kid. Were you, like, a loner kind of kid? Oh, or? definitely. Because okay. me and my little brother are about eight, nine years apart. But that kind of a time difference, you know, being the only child for... Um, so long, uh, as always, you make your own fun and you create your own world. But it also uh, made me be an old soul because I'm able to relate to old things. Like, I, I feel like I was aged at a very early age. So, you know, a lot of times the kids be like, oh, this was when this was out, Method Man, and, you know, this and Wu-Tang. I can't relate to that. I can relate to it in a historical way uh-huh. like because, you know, I like certain things now. But yeah. my early memories are watching westerns of John Wayne and listening to Shaka Khan and Earth, Wind and & Fire and, <laughs> right, you know, right, watching right. old Star Trek reruns on TBS, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. That's so, you know, I'm very old, Right, right. I didn't really hear hip-hop music until I got to, like, junior high. Like, I remember, um, I actually was, like, late elementary school going into junior high, and I started hearing, like, that's when Puffy and them was just coming out, yeah. you know, uh, Lil' Cam and Biggie and Junior Mafia and the locks. And, yeah. You know, that was, like, that was back... I'd say, commercially, hip-hop was just starting to see the big commercial success, it wasn't as big as it is now, but it was the perfect mixture of maintaining the foundation of what hip-hop is while attaining commercial success. So it was a great marriage of the two because mm. it hadn't sold out that much yet. Did you feel like almost maybe that kind of fit in with your like fantasy world? Oh, yeah, because, yeah. you know, I wanted to be on Bad Boy Records, and yeah. I wanted to... At the time, uh, Puffy had the black, you know, bad boy leather coats. Mm. And, you know, everybody had wanted the bad boy leather coat. Because well, Puffy was one of the first rappers. And that, that whole uh, that whole regime was one of the first uh, groups to be brand, a brand. Yeah. Like, you always knew bad boy was going to be black and white. You know, black and white with the lava, the shiny seats. That was all branding. And, you know, I remember at the time when the shiny seats was out, I was like, no more shiny seats. And now everybody follows the branding model of Bad Boy Records, Mm. whether they admit it or not. You know, like, you know, at that time you had the big three were Bad Boy, No Limit, and of course, Def Jam. Yeah, you know, so those were the CEOs you were looking at. You were looking at Puffy, Master P, and Russell Simmons. Right, right. You know, right. so that was a really good time in 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 rap because you started seeing people create businesses, um, especially in the African American community, having black owned businesses like Sean John, Rockaware, Fat Farm, like you know, Booware. Yeah. You know, actually, Wu-Tang was one of the first to do branding, but Puffy kind of took it to, like, the ultra-glam level, right, like, right, right. where he's partying with Donatella Versace, and yeah. he has real cultural influence that crosses over from just urban rap to, you know, Wall Street big business. Right, right, know? right. Yeah, so that was an interesting time. But that, so that era 
is that when you started rapping? That era is when I realized. Oh, uh, you know, I didn't. I was. I didn't really get into it then. But that's when I wanted to be famous. Mm. You know, yeah. Like I had. I always watch. You know. Video of Tina Turner and Jody Watley and Janet Jackson. Cause I always like female entertainers. Yeah. I'm always like female entertainers more than male entertainers. Mm. That's just the bottom line with me. It's male entertainers I like, yeah. but I'm always like the females better. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, now as a man, as as I've grown, I relate to some of the content of male entertainers a lot more when it pertains to life and living as a man in America and just in the world in general. Yeah. Um, when I listen to uh, Pink Floyd or I listen to, you know, Idris Muhammad or... Yo, Scott Haran, who is... I like that vocal. Yeah. I like that vocal Yo, Scott Haran has. Yeah. I like the musicianship of Idris Muhammad. I like the musicianship and the boldness of Rick James. And yeah. I, it's so funny because I'm, like, so into Rick James right now after reading his book because oh, I'm listening cool. to the songs with a different perspective because sure, he's yeah. telling you what was going on at the time. Yeah. And... You know, a lot of people will remember Rick James as I'm Rick James, bitch, Chappelle show yeah. skit. But when I I posted on this about on Facebook a few days ago, when I listened to the records, they were very pristine, very tight. Like yeah. give it to me, baby. When it comes on those horns, wait, everything hits. It's still it's still good. Yeah, you know. Totally. And uh, it's also funny, and this may surface if I get famous. They be like, oh my god, he totally <laughs> threw shade, but. You know, it's so, I ain't gonna lie, I thought it was hilarious is how reading him talk about Prince. Like, I thought what it was hilarious. Saying? Well, you know, I didn't know. Well, I kind of knew because I heard it from, you know, from my mother and my aunts and them because, yeah. you know, they was old and they was hip and shit back in the day. Yeah. And she's like, um, you know, Rick James and Prince kind of had this, like, feud. Mm. And when I read it in the book, you know, because Rick James was first. Right, right, right. And then Prince came yeah. along. And uh, the way he talks about the shit he used to do to press, <laughs> how press used to, you know, uh, copy off of him, you know, different stage techniques and yeah. things like that. And um, I was reading one instance where he was uh, uh, um, at a show or something like that, and and, was, and Prince had bit one of his songs, and they went. I'm paraphrasing here. They saw him in a club, and he like grabbed Prince and like poured liquor down his throat, his face, <laughs> and he started crying. Prince started crying and everything because Rick James is kind of tough. He real rough yeah, around the edges. Um, it's so funny because Rick James. It's always like. Certain singers back in the day, I feel like if rap had existed, they would have been rappers instead of singers. Oh, yeah. Totally. And I feel like Rick James is one of those <laughs> yeah. guys. He's, like, everything about him screams rap. <laughs> <laughs> like, reading his book, the way he lived, it's totally rap, yeah. you know? Um, so I kind of I kind of look at it like that. Yeah, yeah. And, okay, so you have this idea of you want to be famous or, like, a— an entertainer or something, but how does it how does it lead to starting to make music? Well, I didn't start actually. I wrote my first rap in the fall of nineteen ninety eight. Okay, um, yeah. it would be six years before I recorded my first mm. demo or any type of audio recording. Yeah. But about fall nineteen ninety eight, I think I was coming out of middle school, getting ready to go into high school. Yeah, and uh. You know, I had wrote this, this rap. It was so stupid. I can't even remember. It was 
Whack! <laughs> okay. And at the time, I was obsessed with Maya. Like, I loved Maya. Mm. You know, like, everything was R&B singer Maya. Yeah. She was, like, kind of the T yeah. back then. And I was obsessed with her, and I loved everything about her. And it was, like, about Maya, and it was, like, that stupid-ass thing about It was and just, like, I love you kind no, of? No, it or... was, like, ooh, that's my girl. <laughs> oh, my God, it's Maya. Ooh, you know, kind of thing. It actually sounds kind of tight. It was, like, ooh. It's like, ooh. Like, it makes me cringe even thinking, <laughs> thinking no, about I it because it's so whack. Um, so I did that, and then I had did a— what did I do first? I did uh, the first time I I had graduated from high school in 2002, and uh, I still wasn't recording anything. And around this time, this is when Boss Man and Paula Campbell started showing up on radio. Mm. And locally, it was a big deal. And to this day, I still say no artist has had a radio campaign like those two. That's true. No artist has had, no local artist has had that kind of campaign before them, and no artist has had that kind of campaign after them. I gotta throw Tim Trees in there. Well, yeah, you... Tim Trees. Tim Trees is like kind of year zero to <laughs> yeah. me as far as um, the start of you know rap, you know, on radio yeah. and people actually you know really seriously pursuing it. You had Molly Man out at that time yeah. as well, but um, for me, Boss and Paula were the first, were the most like, polished out of yeah. everybody. You know what I'm saying? Like, they had the whole thing. And I remember seeing Paul, and I was like, oh, my God. It's like, my mom was like, oh, my God, it's Paula Campbell. And I totally wouldn't say nothing to her and be like, oh, my God. And I went to downtown locker room and bought her CD, and it was, like, a real CD. And it was like, you know, oh, my God, it's Paula Campbell. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And um, so I was obsessed with her. I liked her songs. I liked her CD. Boss mm. Man was out at the time. He was, like, all already out. Yeah. And so at the time... Um, you know, I was like, well, maybe I should try my hand at this. I was, you know, working my job at the time with my friend Jamal. And, uh, you know, I was rapping, but I wasn't rapping. Yeah. So February 14th, Valentine's Day, 2014, I go to the studio. The reason I go to the studio is because I had uh, signed up for a talent show and you had to have a song. Okay. So um, it was a talent show at the Latin Palace. And that was back during the days of the Jeta shows. And Jeta show was this guy, um, I think his name was Anthony Jeta, but anyway, his last name was Jeta. And um, he uh, would have, they, they would call Jeta shows, and like a lot of people would do it. You would sell tickets, and then you yeah. perform with the show, whatever. And, uh, you know, he's selling tickets to perform. <laughs> you don't get any of the money, but we're not going to go there. Right. Um, and, uh, um, so it was around that time and we did the show at Land Palace, which you needed a song. So I signed up to go to the studio and I recorded with this guy, Frank Johnson, who is actually a very seasoned A&R. He's worked, you know, for Atlantic, Def Jam, you know, Warner, E1, I think. Um, and I see him from time to time in the city now. His wife is a really nice lady. Yeah. And, um... I go to his studio, and I have no idea about recording. So I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to go to the studio. I'm going to be done in, like, I want to. Yeah, You know, not knowing that, you know. And this is, at this time, like, now I feel like a lot of, if you're a new artist starting out, you know everything, pretty much. YouTube, television, the internet has made it so accessible. 
It's not like back then where you had to do trial by error, where you paid your $50 an hour for studio time. Yeah. And that's not to mix. That's just right. to record. Yeah. Okay? You paid your $50 an hour. You did your session. You know, your session, you would have to do multiple sessions. Nobody produced you at that time, so you had to learn production techniques. So what I would do is a lot of my earlier records had influences of records that I liked. So I would, if I heard a Blondie record and I liked that hook or that cadence on it, I would write something like that. Yeah. You know, um, I didn't learn about, like, they had to tell me about vocal stacking. You know what I'm saying? I didn't right. come in the door knowing that I had to understand how my voice records and how my voice should sound on the record or how my voice can sound the best. And those are mistakes and, and lessons that I learned while paying for that. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. A lot of kids now, you know, oh, I'm going to go to my home warehouse and we're going to figure it out, which is great because yeah. it has raised the level of competition from a technical standpoint because now it's no excuse for you to have a bad mix. Can't really, like back then, if the mix wasn't 100%, they would penalize you for it and you would hurt because of that. But if they saw the potential, they would fix that. Now, because the money is next to nothing yeah. and the field has doubled as far as the people that want to be in front of the camera, right. uh, the kids are just more technically savvy. They're more savvy with their internet presence. They're more savvy with their recording. Totally. And they do the shit, quite frankly, for dirt cheap. They pay. Like, any artist, new artist now who complains about recording costs, whether it be for the mix or whatever, try paying $50 an hour just to record, and then you're paying for the mix. Oh, and you're paying $1,000 for that beat. Right, right, right. Okay? Um... At that time, you know, like a lot of that's why a lot it's a lot of people that I started with that are just not here anymore. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? They're not doing it. And a lot of kids, I saw a lot of kids like get burnt out. I saw a lot of kids just give up. I saw a lot of kids just get over it. Totally. Um, some of them died out. Uh, you know, some of them, you know, got picked up by the industry, but the industry wasn't very kind to them. And that's the difference with the X. See, I think that's why a lot of times, no, DDM isn't this big mega-like person. And no, I'm not, you know, in with Def Jam Records where I could just walk artists in. But the reason why I think a lot of people actually pay attention to what I say is because I've made the mistakes for you. Okay? Honey, I done filed bankruptcy at 19 years old because I done spent hundreds and th thousands of dollars you know, yeah, or recording to, and, yeah. you know, paying for the flyer. Oh, and you pay to do this showcase. Oh, and you go to this seminar, you pay $200, and that A&R is there. And guess right. what's going to happen? You're going to get signed. They're looking to sign, and if you have the record, and they sell you this fantasy, and that's just not the way it works. Yeah. Deals are not made in the boardroom. They're made on the golf course. And someone told me that years ago, and it's not until a couple of years ago, about two, three years ago, that I've really finally understood that when they go to these seminars, honey, they're clocking in, okay? Right. They are coming to collect them coins. They're The artists that they're signing, a lot of times, don't even care about them. They don't even want to be signed. Right, they always, right. It's like with modeling. The girl who wants to be the model and that, like, you know, studies the industry and shit, she ends up becoming a teacher or a modeling agent. She yeah. ends up scouting girls. 
The girl who works at Dairy Queen, who doesn't give a shit about Vogue, who just works, she doesn't work out, but she just has it. That's the girl who ends up becoming a superstar. Yeah. And, you know, in my life, honestly, Height, I feel like that may happen to me. I don't know. Like, I have a lot of personality, but who gives a shit about personality? You know what I'm saying? It's a lot of people with personality. It's a lot of people with fucking talent, quite frankly. There's, it's a lot of people that's talented and a lot of people with personality. What makes you different? And the difference is it's who you know, how you market yourself, and how many throats you're willing to cut to get there. Mm. That's the part they don't tell you on TV or making a band. I don't know, man. Do I? When I but when I look at the people in my life that have gone on to success, I don't, I don't see that. You know what I mean? I don't I see some of that. The only thing I don't see is I don't see people stepping on each other to get where they got. Oh. You know what I mean? Oh, that's so nice, honey. <laughs> I'm glad your experience was better than mine. <laughs> I'm so happy. Let's clap for high. Hi. You know, and that may be the case for you. I think for me. Uh, like, I was an idiot when I first started. Like, I was mm. stupid. Like, I was a deer in headlights. If I could yeah. talk to the guy who started music back in 2002, I would tell him, honey, keep your job, go to college, get your degree, you'll be finished by 2006, get your little masses, you'll be finished by 2008. And yeah. after that, you can throw as much money into this bottomless pit as you want right, to because right. you have the coins to do it. You know, you can splurge, you can go on your little cruise to the Caribbean every summer with your vacation time that you get with your PTO. Yeah. And, you know, this would be cute for you, you know? Well, I guess, yeah, I guess now that you say it, you're talking about that whole, like, seminar culture and, like, your talent shows and all that shit, I, I guess that is, the most, in a way, the most cutthroat part of the game. Well, see, here's the thing. With, with rap... Um, the spots are limited. And in this city, what happens is Baltimore is not a district designed for stars. Right. You don't—I'm going to use a line from Mahogany. You don't make it here, you end up here. <laughs> okay? Um, and it's one of those cities where, you know— I tell artists to leave, but at the same time, hold on to who you are because it's a catch-22. If you leave and you scrub yourself for who you are, if you're a rapper, it hurts you. Now, if you're going into modeling or acting or something like that, you know, you can kind of disassociate yourself and it'll work for you. But because hip-hop is such a regional culture and it's yeah. based on where you're from and background and authenticity and all. Well, it used to be. But because of that, it's different for rap. Now, Monique, she kind of made her way being from Baltimore and playing that up. She won an Oscar playing a, 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 a mother from East Baltimore. Yeah. No yeah. shade. That's all her character was. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you know? So, I guess it depends. Yeah. Well... I guess, you know, being being that you started out in this in this kind of like bottomless pit scenario, like like how how do you feel like you you started to get somewhere? You know? I didn't start getting somewhere until I started being a bitch. Okay. And that's the bottom line. People are like, oh, that's terrible. No, honey, that's life. You yeah. know? 
when I was nice and, oh, you know, please help me, sir. You know, I, right. I, I can rap. You know, that's not going to cut it. Yeah. Okay. When I started saying, you know what, I'm going to have to take this bull by the horns. We're going to have to knock down some doors and I'm going to have to get in a few faces. Mm. Shake a few hands, kiss a few babies. Mm. That's when I started getting somewhere, when I understood that you're going to kind of have to do this. The days, because in my mind, once again, I'm kind of old. So in my mind, I'm watching what's love got to do with it. Oh, I'm a perform. A manager going to see me. You know, he going to manage me. Like, I would have been fine being a stupid artist. If they actually took my talent and cultivated it, to where I know it could be at that time, I'd have been fine being a puppet. Right. You know, right, I'd right. have been fine. You know, take all my money. You know what I'm saying? You know, pick me out to all the endorsers. Yeah. You know, as long as I can perform and, you know, I can be on TV with Letterman, I don't really give a shit. Right. But that didn't happen. Right. So it's like, okay, well, honey, what do you need to do in order to get to that point? Yeah. And that's when you start researching the business. You start kind of opening your eyes and you stop being as green as you used to be. Yeah. And you kind of get somewhere. Um, And when I started finding myself as an artist, you know, uh, I worked with one rap crew. Uh, it's called Team Green. Okay. Oh, dear. Um, <laughs> now, that's where I did a lot of my battles. That that era is when I started doing rap battles. Which yeah. Rap battles were very beneficial to me on a local level because it's a way at that time to gain a name very fast. Yeah. You know, so you beat enough people, you do enough show-stopping battles, and, you know, everybody on the scene knows your name. Right, Everybody right. on the scene knows your name. The general public don't really know who the hell you are. But at least amongst your peers, you you know, you kind of know. Well, man, I, I mean, I felt like I... And I have a funny story about this, actually, that I'll tell you in a second. <laughs> but, but I, like, never went down to, like, five seasons really? or any of that. Yeah. I'm but not like, surprised. But, like... <laughs> no, no. But, like... <laughs> It was, uh, like, I felt like everybody was like, yeah, there's that dude Midas that's, like, killing it with really? the battles. Like, everybody knew about that shit. And I don't, you know, see, that's the thing. With me, people, I think people think that I am, like, this grandiose kind of braggadocious person. And I am, I'm confident, but I never get caught up in that. Like, I don't really give a shit about that because at the end of the day, that's nice that people know who I am. But is people knowing who I am getting me in offices with Leor Cohen? Is it getting me, you know, in the places that I need to be to really break through the way that right. I need to break through? Right. Not to say that I'm not appreciative of that, but I think that's why I've always been a progressive type of artist is yeah. because it's nice that I'm in the city paper a lot. That's nice. I appreciate that. But guess what? That's not going to get me everywhere. So yeah. we got to keep working towards right, that. Right, right, right. That record was cute. The come through video was cute. But honey, that's the one video. That's not going to get you, you know. Sometimes it happens. It's like lightning in a bottle. With some people, right. it only takes that one moment. Yeah. For some people, it takes a lifetime. Yeah, totally. You know. I, I did want to tell you this. I always, like thought I should go to the five seasons. <laughs> like like me and Mickey, we'd always be like, we're gonna go this week. And then we would not go. <laughs> and we'd be like, all right, we'll go next week. And it's like 
it was funny. You reviewed in the city paper this track that I was on. Do you have any memory of this? I at don't. All? Did I? Oh, <laughs> what's like, I mean? You were mean in the funniest way, and I. I it's even funnier now. Oh my god! You. Don't, don't worry about. It. Don't worry. It. It was not. It was like complimentary and also like, what is this kind of? But like, <laughs> <laughs> and I, it's not a track I'm particularly proud of, but like. It was so funny because you were like, you know what, though? These dudes should come down to five seasons. And then you were like, actually, nah. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, that just confirms what I thought. Well, you know, at the, at the time, this is this is the good and bad thing about the five seasons. You know, it, the, me and the five seasons have a love-hate relationship. I yeah. love it because at the end of the day, the five seasons... Whether people like it or not, and they used to actually be on Charles Street before they moved into right, uh, right. Mount Vernon Shopping Center. And uh, the Five Seasons provided a hub and a central neutral meeting place for the entire city's hip-hop community yeah. to meet and fellowship and showcase. Yeah. And nobody was doing Now, you have so many options. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's a lot of places you can go. But at that time... That was the only place that yeah. really welcomed hip hop. Right, right. The right. flip side of that is, you know, the mics were always shitty for the most part. The sound was like doo doo. But what I liked about that was those fucked up mics taught you projection, which is why until this day, whenever I'm in a cipher, my voice is always louder than everybody's mm. because. When I first started, that was the standard, and you knew you had to do that. Yeah, yeah, You know what I'm saying? It wasn't no—a lot of the artists that are just starting out now, they have no idea how to perform live. It's all Mickey Mouse. Like, they sound great on records, but when you get them in a live setting, it's like, okay. Yeah. Okay. I totally agree. You know, it's like, oh. And they have no concept of crowd control. The stage show is a damn mess. Yeah. They sound a damn mess. Totally. You know, totally. so it, it's, you know, the five seasons is cute, but I feel like also um, at the five seasons, it, it it's a hub, but it can also create this false world where you believe that you're somebody that you're not. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's all like, it's kind of like you're like, the man ooh, in right. this Right. I'm room. a man at, you know, in... To in what's that five hundred square feet of space? Right, right, right. You know, um, so it was. It's like you know, I kind of view it differently. You know, also at that time, there was no YouTube, and MySpace was like kind of just starting. Yeah. So a lot of that of that era has not been captured. Um, I think the only person that was capturing hip hop at that time on the Internet, from an internet standpoint, was Al Shipley with government names. Mm, yeah, yeah. Like, that was the, like, it was like, oh, my God, it was two places you wanted to be in, government names and a city paper. Yeah. And if you was in, I remember one year, the city paper, they did, like, these trading cards of, like, the rappers right, in the city. Right. And I was like, oh, I want a trading card. Well, I don't have a trading card. <laughs> I want a trading card. I'm not special enough for a trading card. And, like, you wanted a trading card. But, yeah, Al Shipley was, like, the first. Like, it's a lot of bloggers now, you know, and everybody's like, oh, I'm a blogger, but right. none of you did it first. Yeah. Al Shipley, I'm going on record with that. Al Shipley is the first internet blogger to cover extensively the Baltimore hip-hop scene. Yeah. He is year zero for that. 
he's one of the only guys because I, I I don't respect a lot of bloggers to be honest. Oh, they like, kind of, it, it's like, it's a mess. Yeah, but he's one of the only guys like his crit. I actually like appreciate his criticism. It's like 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 some of the things he said that are negative about me or different things I've done. I'm like, yeah. That, you can see see the thing with Al is see Al is a blog he does a blog but he's a journalist right right. he didn't start it as a blogger he started out in journalism yeah and with Al yes he has relationships and he likes certain people on a personal level but he's really not anybody's friend right right so when he writes about you it's like yes he will follow your story for years as I'm sure he's followed me for a while so he does have a connection but me and Al ain't hanging out I ain't, you know, over right. his house, you know what totally. I'm saying? So when he writes about stuff that I do, it's from a very omniscient point of view. Yeah. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And that's why his critique is respected or even hated because, yeah, you popular, but that don't, that doesn't mean anything to him. Right. <laughs> yeah, totally. At all. I like that about him. I, I You know, people have threatened Al over the years. I remember back in the day. Oh, yeah. Uh, over his reviews, but that's the kind of, that's press. That's yeah. real press. Yeah. A lot of the press now, it, you know, all you got to do is take him out for drinks, you know, send him something exclusive and they're your friend. Yeah, yeah, totally. You know, real press, especially some of the press that I've gotten due to my personal life, real press, they don't care about none of that. They're writing about the story. They're, and that's what I miss about music journalism, especially... As it pertains to hip hop music, like they'll find every good thing about it and write about that instead of saying, no, this shit is garbage. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like back in the day, you had to really, you had to, it was an act of Congress and a blessing from Jesus Christ if you got five mics. There are classic albums in hip hop history that did not get five mics from the source. That are staples, that are points of reference. Okay, now, oh, that was hot. That was hot. Well, if everything hot, we should all be burning up. (laughs) It's true, it's true. And a lot of times, you know, people are like, ooh, you're an elitist, you're this, you're that. Now, I don't respect what you're saying about music because you're talking about everything but the actual product. Yeah. Oh, he comes from this place and his hair is green and yeah. last summer he did Bonnaroo. I don't give a fuck about none of that shit. Yeah. Bitch, I asked you how was the album. <laughs> right, right, right. Okay, and you're telling me about everything but the album. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's absolutely true. You know, like, ooh, and last year he performed with Kanye West and this year, you know, he's going to be headlining Trilectro. Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, let me let me ask you this. <laughs> like um so in this time of you know getting learning how to stand out in a cipher and um winning these battles and all that is like it might sound like a dumb question, but I don't know. but were you like coming with this like flamboyant style? At the time. See, my thing is this. 
my flamboyancy comes out when I'm having a discussion. Yeah. Or like when I'm kikiing or I'm like watching TV or something or I'm talking to you. It's like, yeah, especially, you know, they went in. You know? Yeah. But my school of rap is aggressive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. When I'm rapping, when I'm, if we going in, there's no nice. There's no, like, I, it's like being an assassin. Like, you don't show up to the party like, yes, bitch, I'm about to beat your ass. No, it's coming with the black gloves, and I'm about to right. knock your fucking head off. Yeah, yeah, You know yeah. what I'm saying? That's the school I come from. You know, going up against guys like Comp, you know what I'm saying? Seeing them on stage, having to follow that show, you know, right. battling guys like Verb, and, you know, all of those guys. When I first started, it wasn't no... Assault, like they knew I was soft smoking. Everybody knew I was who I was, right? But they, it was like what I'm saying. But he nice though, or he gonna come at you though. Yeah, there yeah, was yeah. no, there's no nice with me when it comes to rap. You know right. what I'm saying? I play with you every now and then, but when it's time to go in, I'm gonna go in. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's just that now I'm gonna go in as me. I'm just gonna go in. And I'm after I finish going, then it's gonna be like, now bitch, when we gonna get something to eat? You know what I'm <laughs> right, saying? Right, right. Like it's that, but the go in is still the go in. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, know? yeah, yeah. That okay. And and so was that around the time you got down with Mania? Well, when I got with Mania, first off, I was so thin, like. Oh, I'm working on getting that body back. I was like thin. I looked great. I had cheekbones. I was giving contour. You know, I was in, you know, a large yeah. out of 2X, you know, like right, right. I, w- I could fit in the gap. I could fit in Abercrombie. I could fit in those. So I looked great. Like it was physical. I love that look. Like if I had that body with this knowledge, I'd be dangerous. So we working on getting that body back. When I got with Mania, Mania kind of helped me uh, with ex- with my experimentation in music mm. as far as wanting to do something unique and wanting to move forward and just, oh, you're not just battling. Mania started to help me start the process of becoming a recording artist. Yeah. You know, um, when I started working, that's when I started becoming a recording artist. Yeah. And did you put out an album at that time? I didn't put oh. out an album. I think I put out an EP. Okay. Um, Looking back, I ain't really like it. Mm. Um, It's not my best. Yeah. But I think I put out an EP. Um, there it was like the arcade or something like that and it was yeah but um and i did the the compilation yeah. with them yeah. um with me kane ron and melly and uh that's when i started really becoming a recording artist now because of creative differences uh you know and you know some other things that didn't quite work out but after mania i, I met a very cool group of people and um, at the art house, my friend Menefin, my friend Max, his brother Mo, uh, Jet, that whole class, Leno, um, who's now on Instagram with Young Thug, uh, Riff Raff will come to the house sometimes, who's now on the cover of Dazed and Confused and Neon Icon and Los. And, he was hanging out in Baltimore? Yeah. Oh, you know what? It's so funny. And you know what? We didn't talk much, but when he came to the house, like, Riff Raff was in a dirty white T-shirt and some jeans and some Reeboks, and he would come over. Um, not a lot, but, you know, he's been, he had been to the house a few times, and yeah. he would, like, 
hang out and we uh my friend Menefin has shot a couple of his videos with Max, like his little mm. viral videos yeah, with yeah, the yeah. Bata, bata ice, you know. <laughs> that whole thing. And they were like sleep in a basement on Lano's tattoo table. And mm. like people always flip out when I tell them that, but that's inspiring to me because I know where it came from. Yeah. You know, yeah. to go from G's to Gents and, you know, Oh, that's super, right, that's right. You yeah. know what I'm saying? And like then you're, you know, in Baltimore at a house in West Baltimore in the middle of the ghetto because the art house was on our, was it on Tawanda? Yeah, it was on Tawanda Avenue. No, Anoka Avenue. 2322 Anoka Avenue. Don't nobody live there now, so y'all don't, don't run over there. Um, <laughs> on Anoka Avenue off of Tawanda, and that was a great time. Mm. And it was a great time because artistically they developed me. They developed my eye for fashion. Even though I've been reading Vogue secretly for years, but they developed my eye for fashion. They helped Max help me understand how I should look in a picture and how my body photographs in a picture. So mm. I understood what I was looking like. Um, they helped me develop, you know, my sound and studying different sounds and staying current. Uh, Maurice is a very talented visual artist. That's Max's brother. Um, he helped me, you know, understand art and researching different things and reading different magazines from other countries and really going in and researching Picasso and Kahende Wally, Romare Baird, and, you know, Salvador Dali, you know, all of these great artists. And it was a group of kids. We didn't work. Nobody had a job. <laughs> okay. But somehow we, we made it work. I would, um, I was working with Max. He, uh, does, uh, photography and, you know, we shot Big Sean, mm. you know, Jay-Z. Okay. Uh, we did some work for Sister to Sister magazine. Um, we met some people, and we, we went some places. Oh, wow. Uh, I went to Montreal back in 2012 during that, during that era. Yeah. Um, we They exposed me to life, and what I loved about it is that you know, I was very poor at that time. You know, I didn't have a, you know, job. And um, me and my first boyfriend, well, my only boyfriend, because I only had one, um, broke up. And, you know, it was a nasty breakup. Mm. And, you know, I'm heartbroken and everything. Yeah. You know, I lost my job. I was working at Shepherd Pratt at the time. Oh, okay. And, you know, I'm all, you know, depressed and stuff. I lose my job. And, you know, for a few nights, well, actually, for... A few months, I was sleeping on couches and sometimes sleeping on the street. I've slept under 83. I really? I have a special connection mm. to the people in Camp 83. Yeah. Um. You know, so a lot of people don't know that, though. When those first, like, when I started, after I came out the closet and did the battles and all of that shit, um, I, uh, a lot of people, I was very productive at that time but i was very poor at that time i didn't have any money i was max was damn near supporting me i was living at his house you know the art house where we all yeah. were, were were staying you know and what i appreciate about him is that he never treated me like less of a person he inspired me now he is a bit of a sociopath in the sense that he's one of those people that are very focused and he has tunnel vision so when he gets set on something he will focus on that one thing until it's like there yeah and i learned that from him he also taught me how to run my business mm. so he taught me how to transact business 
he's the one that taught me that deals are made on the golf course and not the boardroom. Yeah. You know, and he taught me a lot, and I owe him a lot. You know, Menefin, Menefin helped me a lot with, you know, just dealing with myself, and he's a great counselor. He listens to me whine. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, you know, going through the whole gay shit, which I'm kind of over, you know, like, I needed that period to purge and to get those that backup out. But now, like, looking looking back and now, like, I never really changed as a person in a bad way. I right, improved. Right. I, yeah. I evolved. And, uh, you know, it's so funny because a lot of my following now and a lot of my support system now and a lot of the people that I'm friends with in real life now are all straight men. Yeah. And I just find that it's so bizarre, you know. And I think that's because with me, yes, you know, but I lay down at night, I want a man. Okay. We've got that out the way. Scandal. You've got it on tape. But at the end of the day, um, I don't, that's not something that I prophesize. I don't have to scream that I'm gay. I live it. You know what I'm yeah. saying? So at the end of the day, I think a lot of guys respect it about me because I'm very professional in a sense that, like I was telling you outside, no no person, no guy can come and say on record and be like, oh, DDM, he tried some funny style stuff and he was trying to hit on me and all that. That's not even how I wrote. Yeah. I think a lot of people are ugly anyway. I don't even like a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. in general. So I think that um, the reason why... With rappers, they don't play with me, and I don't get a lot of shade from rappers. And it's like, they may not like what I do behind closed doors, but they respect me. Yeah. It's because I'm not presenting myself as some sissy who's just, like, playing with words and doesn't take the craft, the culture, or the history of the culture seriously. Yeah. They know when they come to me, oh, bitch, he's going to give you a whole backlog. He's going to give you, I love the strings on this record. He's yeah. going to give you your cadence was off. People know that I, I, I love what I do. I love my music, and I respect it. And right. when you respect it, people have no choice but to respect you. Right, right, right. I think, you know, with hip-hop, they still got a long way to go. You know, they still ain't out. But I feel like it's one of those things where, you know, they know it's real people like me out. It's yeah. about what the industry chooses to promote. Statistically speaking, flamboyancy sells better. They, right. they Not saying it sells better, but they don't have a proven track record that an artist like me will work. Right. Now, once, uh, once some genius decides to put money behind an artist like me, and it may not be me. It may be some kid, you know, that we've never heard of or that's not popular yet. Once that artist gets broken and that artist becomes mega successful, because they got to have that Ellen factor where, you know, the community can respect them and, and admire them, but at the same time, they can't be threatening to the Bible. Right, 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 right. right. Uh, and so once that artist breaks, then... I'll probably get signed tomorrow. There'll be like eight of those artists in the marketplace for contingency. Yeah. You know, it's just like with white female rappers. Like you had this bubbling uh, group of white female rappers. I think uh, Sean kind of in a way kicked the door open for that because she had a real legitimate record that hit, you know, Gucci, Gucci. Yeah. Uh, uh, 
full of bad bitches. Like, you say what you want about Krayshawn, but everybody liked that song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that kind of was like, oh, this make her work. So what we're going to do is we're going to get Iggy Azalea because she actually, people, you know, the industry probably could take her a little bit more seriously. Yeah. And she has a more commercial top 40 appeal, which yeah. it worked. Now, her albums don't sell like shit, but don't nobody album sell yeah, like shit in 2014. Totally. So you can't say that. But as far as singles, endorsements, sellability, the bitch has it. Yeah, yeah. So now what you're seeing is 800 million white female rappers, you know, that people are trying to pick up and sign. Yeah. That's how it works. Yeah, You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, nobody... Female rappers were dead until Nicki Minaj came back, came, you know, came Absolutely. out. Then yeah. you saw all these female rappers. Not to say that they weren't there, yeah. but the industry, they wanted one, but they didn't really care. You know, all of the top girls from when I first started rapping decided to, you know, get married, get knocked up, disappear, go to jail, yeah. whatever. Totally. You yeah. know, um, so it kind of, kind of, you know, that's how the industry works. Once they yeah. get a... a uh, proof a confirmation of payment yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then they'll start asking for more receipts I, I don't know like that show at the Metro Gallery I felt like just like I'm very uh, unbothered no no but I, <laughs> I just felt like everybody can get down with yeah. that shit you know like like it's like I don't know it's it, like it's gay but like <laughs> but like but like <laughs> No, but like you know, a lot of things are, in think, music are uh, that are the best. Are you know gay, what you I know? think it is? It's like kind of like ooh, you're like the good black person. It's like you know the girl who like back in the day who she was like she was black but she was light skinned and she had good hair and she could talk right. Like uh-huh. I feel like I'm that guy for for straight people now. Like I'm that gay guy who he's gay, but in the sea of gay that we're seeing right now, he's like the safe gay. So we can like him and not feel too gay. Okay. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So I feel like that's that's who I am right now. I think also too, like I'm very unbothered. Like I really don't care anymore. It's like, you know what, either you gonna sign me or not. I Yeah. I, I'm not going out of my way no more for people to you know, oh, well, if I do this and if I get this right hair with this outfit, you know what I'm saying? Then it's yeah. gonna be over. And I'm just over that. Yes, I do like the way I look and I wanna, you know, do some creative shit. But am I going out of my way to be America's next top model? Yeah. Hell no. Yeah. I don't care. This is a theory I've been working with for a while, but I think at a certain age you can't do that anymore. Yeah. Like like you can't be like You you remember like when, when that dude The Streets first came out, the English dude? Yeah. It like I felt like it was like Seeing this kid and being like, oh, that kid did every single thing right. Like, he, right. he got the right haircut, the right clothes, he got the right sound, right music. Like, I feel like at a certain age, if you're going to keep going, you got to be like, I am who I am. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like, like, if it doesn't land perfectly with like what's hot, fuck it. You know what I mean? I don't know. I mean, I think that's why I, I transitioned into the Uncle Lulu era as far as, like, that name. Because it's like, I'm like, you know, no, I'm not a mega star, but, you know, I don't put so much time into this shit, honey. I'm so unbothered. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, 
you know, we're going to do the show. We're going to have a good time. And I think that's helped me with talking to my audiences. Like, my show has developed into half music, half stand-up. Okay. You know, like, yeah. it's very Millie Jackson in that way. Very, you know, I think the only per- other person that kind of does that right now is Childish Gambino. Okay. Um, yeah. But it's very that. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Very Millie Jackson. Very Diana Ross. Very, you know, Rudy Ray Moore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, like, you know... It's like, you know, I don't, it's like either you're going to like it or you're not. Yeah. You're going to boo or you're going to clap. Yeah. I, I mean, at this point, I don't really know what else to tell you. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like that's how, honestly, that's how, I feel like that's how all music should be. You know what I mean? It's like, I don't know. People yeah. waste a lot of time and energy going in the opposite direction. Like, ooh. You know, like, we got to get this producer, and it's going to be this hair, and we going to do this video, and we're going to shoot it with this photographer. And with some things, you need that. Like, with these groups and shit, and with, with female artists, oh, I be feeling so bad for them because they require so much maintenance. Yeah. Like, it takes a lot. Like, you got to be maintenance. Right, you're right, a female right. artist. You know, that whole keep it real shit. Unless you going the whole Tracy Chapman route, <laughs> or you doing some shit like that. Don't know, like, girl, you better throw on a heel, and that yeah. face better be done. It's like one of those things where, I hate to say this, and, you know, people may come at me for this, but, you know, people don't really care about who you are. They care about what you're selling and how yeah. you're selling it. right. They don't give a shit if the Avon lady goes home and she drinks a fifth of Jack and smokes a bowl. They don't really give a shit about that. But, bitch, when you come to my door, you better have them goddamn samples. You better be smelling good. And that lotion better be on point. And I want all my skin so soft. And you better look right. Right, 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 right. They don't give a fuck what you do when you go home. Yeah. But when you... Get on the airplane, bitch. Welcome to United Airlines. Right, right. Okay? No, I feel (laughs) And, like, that's one thing I learned, like, you know, uh, even with me, like, you know, I don't have to hide behind costumes. Part of, you know, what's so crazy is, and I don't feel like I've sold out at all, but ever since I've kind of embraced my manhood and embraced my masculinity, like, I have people ask me, and I was like, so you're gay? And I, 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 that's always weird to me because I seem that everybody knows. Yeah. But when you really come into your beat, and you really come into your own, people see a human being. Yeah. They don't see an image. They see a person. Right, They right, see right. a presence. Right. And that's what really matters is the presence. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Because there's certain girls out here, like Gwen Stefani, that bitch be the gava, but she's very unbothered. You know what I'm saying? Like Jennifer Lawrence, she's very unbothered. That yeah. bitch don't even be having on makeup in every picture. But because she's like, I'm Jennifer Lawrence and I really don't care, I just became famous by accident. Well, not by <laughs> accident, but, you know, they just picked me and, you know, these things happen. Yeah. You know, like people care about presences. You know, it's always going to be that bitch that's super dying and super together and don't nobody care about her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Totally. All right. So that was part one. Let's bring Paul Hudson into the mix and keep it moving. So we're back. We got the McDonald's in effect. Um, so I was wondering, like, how did you guys start linking up? Um, well, I met uh, DDM back, uh, I guess it was, what, late July or late June um, at The Crown in Baltimore. Um, there was a show going on there, and he was emceeing, and a friend of mine was taking some photos, and I, I do photo and film full-time. That's actually really my yeah. full-time gig. Um, so 
went over and I uh, was just there to take some photos, met DDM backstage and just started talking, mentioned that I made some music and, you know, he was like, oh, we should, you know, we should get together sometime, try to make some music. And yeah. uh, it was about know, two weeks later or so um, that he finally came by and checked out the studio and played him a couple tracks. And, uh, you know, he said he wanted me to send him one or two. So I sent him just a bunch of them. And the next day he uh, hit me up and was like, hey, you know, you think you'd want to put an EP out or something? And I, I was completely into it, you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, after that, we started, you know, getting to work on stuff, started coming through more often, kind of picked out the songs that we wanted, came up with, like, the format that we wanted for the whole project and everything, and just kind of uh, everything really started to come together really uh, naturally. Everything was really cohesive, I feel like. Yeah. Um, it didn't, it wasn't like anything was forced. We just kind of started clicking on a lot of the same ideas, and it kind of just felt like we... We both were on the same track, you know, to make the same type of album. So it only made sense that we started working on this together. Had you produced in that way before? Like, no, nah, this was the first hip hop project that I'd ever done. Okay. Um, I played in, you know, a couple different bands before in the past. I've always been a drummer. Um, mm. Started playing drums when I was about seven years old, was when I think I got my first drum set. Yeah. Um, and I played in, in a group in college for a while that was kind of like a roots kind of thing, you know, so it was a live band, but it was hip hop, you know, with some, mm. a little bit of a rock influence to it. But What um, was it called? It was called the Three Tree Experience. Okay. Um, yeah, it was, a, <laughs> it was a funny, it was a funny name, but it was a good group. Um, uh, but yeah, we had a guy that rapped and uh, bass player, guitar, and then drums. Um, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Okay. And, and like... DDM, is it, is it like you were saying, like embracing this more masculine, like rap style? I th- I think, right? We're in the right ballpark. Okay, okay. <laughs> like like is or, or this new style that you're going for is that was Bond Street District like the start of that? Yeah, real shit only. You know. Yeah. You know, I'm a little bit too mature for shenanigans. Yeah. You know, I like to have fun, but. Especially in the time, in these times, it's so funny that what the nation is going through right now with, you know, from the racial tensions to the police tensions to now the CIA torture shit yeah. and Bill Cosby drugging people. And, yeah. you know, it, it's too much going on in the world. You know, ISIS. It's too many things. Ebola. <laughs> it's too much going on. For me to keep selling you shenanigans. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like, yes, it has to be entertaining. I'm all about a light show. Give me a Beyonce moment. Yeah. But the Beyonce moment got to have some substance behind it. Yeah. Because, I mean, everybody interprets music differently. Like, what do you you see as the the added substance? Well, when you listen to the EP... It's something that you can take home with you. It's something that, yeah. that the the words, the instrumentation, the musical integrity behind. It yeah. has a lot of heart. It's a lot of soul. It's not plastic. Totally. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's a lot of grit to it. It's a lot of feeling to it. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. it has human emotion. The project is an emotion. You know? Absolutely, yeah. So, and that, that's that's the biggest thing. Like, you know... In matinee, you know, and that wasn't my first choice of single, you know, because yeah. I'm thinking single, bitch. Like, we need Mother Hook, 
You know, right, right, Winnie right. Chappelle. But um, it's so funny because uh, Paul chose the first single from the project. And um, it's so many, like when I wrote Matinee, like he had, you know, presented the beat. And uh, it wasn't as full as it sounds now. It was just like the sample and the loop and the drum behind it. And uh, I wrote the record, and there's so many little nuggets in that record that yeah. is true to me. Like, when I'd be like, for every Coke, it's a Pepsi, which is something I always say. And yeah. I got that from the movie Election. They didn't say it like that, but, like, Matthew Roderick was watching that because he hated Reese Witherspoon. That's one of my favorite movies. And, like, um, he was looking at a Pepsi can, and then he thought, Coke. You know what I'm saying? So I always yeah. say, for every Coke, it's a Pepsi. You didn't know that. But for every Coke, mm-hmm. it's a Pepsi. And um, I want to be Denzel, but I look like Wesley. And it's so many, I struggled with my looks for so many years. And some people will say, oh, Diddy, we think you're cute. I don't think so, because I've always had a weight problem. You know what I'm saying? With Robert Harris say, I can't wait to eat. But um, I always uh, struggled with my weight. You know, I was always fat. You know, uh, and then I had I did ballet for like two years in middle school. You know, and then I got hit by a car, and then I got fat. Mm. Okay, and then I did football in high school. That was cute. You know what I'm saying? And then I got fatter. You know, I went yeah. to uh, vocational technical high school. Shout out to Maribel, same high school as Tracy Termlet, and um, my trade was commercial bacon. So I'm like cooking donuts and shit and cookies and all of that. And the whole time I'm just getting fat. Okay. Yeah. And so like weight has always been an issue for me in in beauty in general. Cause I have a very especially studying fashion the way that I had, I know what aesthetic beauty looks like. I know what the science of perfect ecstatic beauty looks like yeah. a perfect face is perfect a, a, a beautiful face scientifically is perfectly symmetrical that's okay. the scientific yeah. standard of beauty sure. symmetry yeah so like being fat and like odd shaped and you got titties and shit you just like really i don't you know i like that and then it's like another line in the um in a song analog girl in a digital world Find it hard to get work with a natural curl, shading on essence everywhere that she go, because they say they're really making it as being in vogue. That line means a lot to me because a lot of times, especially in the black community, and it's it's it doesn't feel strange talking about this to white people, but you know, I'm gonna say it. Yeah. Um in a black community, like post-civil rights era, like, right around the time, like, post the civil rights movement, you know, in the mid-70s, you know, 80s, you had this renaissance where black people were really into supporting black things. So, Essence, everybody wanted to be an Essence. Everybody wanted to be an Ebony. You went to Ebony Fashion Fair. You bought Ebony Fashion Fair makeup. And, you know, that's what black girls did. You know what I'm saying? And now, they've kind of... Abandon that, and now black girls feel like Essence isn't as good as Vogue. Or mm. it's like, yeah, you an Essence girl, but you really need to be an L. You know what I'm saying? Like, or yeah. the girl who can, who only does work for. Um, they had a magazine out of South Africa, I believe, called Arise, and they were positioning themselves to kind of be 
the African version of Vogue. Okay. But they couldn't quite get the footing to do that. Yeah. And Vogue does not have an African division. A lot of people don't know that. There's a Vogue Turkey. There's a Vogue Germany. There's a British Vogue. Paris Vogue. Uh, they have a goddamn Thailand Vogue. Mm. Mexican. Canadian. There is no African Vogue. And Africa has a big commerce. You know, a big, you know, financially speaking. Yeah. Uh, South Africa has some of the most burgeoning fashion places in the world, but they don't have a Vogue. Right. So I say that to reflect on that. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah. Like it's so many different things that see the thing with me is in making this project with Paul is like especially in these times, it's kind of tricky with us because like I want to paint a scene for you. Okay. Paul's gonna laugh at us. <laughs> Ferguson Verdict comes out. Okay, I'm at Paul's house, right? And we watch it, CNN live. You yeah. know, the verdict hits. Now, I'm this big black man with this tall, skinny white man, and we watching <laughs> the Ferguson verdict. You got the white government officials and the black people going off about the verdict, and we're watching Don Lemon commentate <laughs> on the looting as CNN conveniently has the camera stationed in front of the liquor store, yeah. the sneaker store, mm-hmm. waiting for these people to get caught on camera looting. And being in a group that is interracial, we discuss race in a very direct way because we can do that. Mm-hmm. But I think also with me being homosexual and already having to deal with that prejudice in addition to the black prejudice, you know, that whole thing, I'm very even. Because, like, being gay and black, black people throw shade at you being gay. Being a black person, you get the whole black shit. So I'm kind of impartial. You know what I'm <laughs> yeah, saying? I totally like, understand. I look at people in a people sense. Yeah. Not saying that I can't relate because I, as a black man in America, I definitely can relate. But... It wasn't weird watching it, but I wish, looking back, we could have had, like, a reality show and the cameras just had been rolling (laughs) while we were discussing this. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because I'm playing devil's advocate, but at the same time, I sympathize, but at the same time, I'm mad that y'all on TV riding like this. Like, what the fuck, y'all destroying your own communities? But at the same time, I can understand, you know, your frustration. And Paul... On the other hand, is like, he's a white person, but Paul's a very liberal white person, you know what I'm saying? I mean, of course, he listens to, like, Odyssey and shit, you know, all that. You got against Odyssey. I don't have shit against Odyssey. I'm going on record as saying that, but you are a fan, okay? What's Odyssey? He's Honestly, a rapper. Go oh, ahead, Paul. He's, he's oh, much the, more than a rapper. DC dude. Yeah, that's yeah, right, he was part right. of Diamond District yeah, and stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Like, one of the best producers around right now that Manny refuses to acknowledge. <laughs> I don't refuse to acknowledge Odyssey, okay? Paul has the vinyl. He done pull everything up. So he got good. the Diamond District catalog. I'm just, I mean, I think it's cute. I'm here for it, but I ain't here for it. You know mm. what I'm saying? Like, like, this is why this works, because he's a boom-bap guy. 
He's always gonna love his boom bap. You know what I'm saying? I'm all about grand productions. I that boom bap shit is cute. It had its time, and I'm all about kind of bringing it back. But let's bring it back with a Chappelle. You know what I'm saying? Like let's add a Beyonce moment to the boom bap. You know what I'm saying? Like let's make the boom bap entertaining. Yeah, you know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah. Like I, I, you know, I'm I'm a music purist, but I don't really like them real hip hop people. Because right. the real hip-hop people, they be so like, ooh, this is rap. Like, that's hip-hop. No, you dumb fuck. Okay? Hip-hop is the sister to punk music. Punk music and hip-hop were created to go against the system. Yeah. It was created as rebellious music. Yeah. It was not created to be elitist and stationary. It yeah. was created to evolve and to express the emotions and feelings yeah. Of a culture oppressed and ignored. Yeah. You idiot, okay? <laughs> Do you guys have, like, more projects in the works? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. He stuck with me. Yeah. <laughs> I think the second that we put the album out, I was already, I was telling him I was in, you know, prior to us making this album, I, I hadn't put anything else out, so I was just making all these beats by myself, for yeah. myself, you know, so... I was just kind of in this constant production mode where all I was doing was making beats. And, you know, I wasn't making them, you know, fully. You know, they were all just kind of ideas and stuff like that. So after getting five tracks and basically just putting all of our time and effort into the same five tracks for, you know, about two months that mm-hmm. we were doing it, you know, two straight months of doing that and not really having the brain power or the time really to, to do anything else outside of that, I feel like the second that we had our final mix in, and before we even released the the project, you know, we just had the final mixes in and didn't have any more work to do on our side for the album. And I was already immediately making new songs and oh, sending awesome. him tracks like, you know, I don't know if this is it, but hey, check this out. What do you think about yeah. this? Um, and I think, you know, we're already right now looking towards next year and, you know, putting out something else next year at some point. Um, but I think this time around we're going to put ourselves under a more reasonable timetable. Mm, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> this time it was... Two and a half months from the time that we met to the time that we put yeah. the album out, you know, That's cool, put an EP in a music video. So, yeah. and especially for me, never having produced anything fully like that before, it was definitely a yeah. lot. So, this time I think we're gonna we're gonna take our time with this one a little bit more. How did that How did that video come together? It was such a like, there was such a like quality video. Um, everybody well, liked to use that word. <laughs> <laughs> well, we uh. Like Manny had said, you know, he he told me that he wanted me to uh, to come up with more of the creative ideas for the video since, you know, video is my background and stuff. And, you know, I really wanted to be really stylized. So I had a very strong idea in mind for how I wanted the video to look. But I told him, you know, since he was the one who wrote the lyrics and everything, that I wanted him to have a lot of influence on it as well. So yeah. the way that we broke it up, um, we basically, in our minds, had two sections to it. We had the vignettes, which were basically all of those b-roll shots of the different characters that you saw in their environments and then the performance shot um and so i was basically in charge of the performance shot and that whole element of the video and how that was going to look and he was in charge of kind of coming up with these kind of lookbook-esque um vignettes that Mm. we would cut in and out of that kind of represented what it was that you know he wanted to convey not you know necessarily exactly what the lyrics were saying but just kind of an overall feel to the video and you know what message we wanted to put out there and um it was actually kind of funny in the making of the video. 
we always say it every single time we have a show or we're going into something, it's never going to go right unless everything's going wrong. And with the video, yeah. it was totally true. I mean, that performance shot, the original idea for it was actually to be in like an old, decrepit, like theater space. Mm. Um, and we had found a whole bunch of really awesome places. And I swear we got locations and lost at least probably five locations, maybe six locations. Um, the last of which, well, we, we, we thought that we lost the last location for the, the last time about four days before we were supposed to shoot the music video. And then literally the day that we were supposed to shoot the performance shot, we had two pickup shots that we had to do. And then we were going to go to the performance shot and maybe a half hour, 15 minutes before we were supposed to be there, we still hadn't heard from our contact and basically lost that space as well. <laughs> within within a half hour of having to be shooting it, and it basically we were at a point where it was like, if we don't shoot this today, the video's not happening. It's yeah. just not going to come out. And and for uh, for those that don't know, it's not like one dude with a camera. It's like you got a giant crew <laughs> and a, a bunch of shit. With yeah, it. exactly. And that was the thing too is we were pulling a lot of favors from yeah. friends and stuff. You know, we're doing this all out of our own pocket, so um, we had a lot of equipment, and a lot of people, you know, donating their time. So um, luckily. Um, Put the plug in, Chris Schaefer Studios. Uh, Chris nice. Schaefer was nice enough to uh, let us crash his place for the night. And, I mean, I called him, like I said, a half hour before we were supposed to be there. And he was nice enough to open his doors for us. And uh, that's where we got that final shot, which actually worked out in our favor because that's where we ended up having our whole release party for the the project. Um, so it was kind of cool to be able to release the EP and the music video and screen it within the space that it was actually <laughs> shot in. That's awesome. Um, so it was kind of a cool moment to be able to like show people that and then have them literally turn from the movie screen to the stage and see that it's actually you know part of yeah. the music video like they were there. Um, but I feel like that's kind of a testament to like the whole project or at least how both of us work where if if there was one thing that we came out of this whole project with or one saying from the whole thing, it's just trust the process. Mm. Uh, you know, just trust whatever process you have. Just trust that it's the right thing and that just let it happen because the entire time we would sit there and work on stuff, you know, and, and have an idea and be really excited about it and it just wasn't happening. And instead of getting really frustrated about it and try to force it, we would just kind of relax and be like, you know what? It's not happening right now. Like, let's take a break, whatever. Take yeah. a breather, come back to it. And nine times out of ten, damn near time, ten times out of ten, we'd come back to it and maybe not have the exact same idea, but have an even better idea that neither of us had even thought of. And, you know, we'd sit there at the end of the day looking back at it and being like, wow, that actually really worked out for the best. Yeah, and totally. It couldn't have been any more true with the music video, too. All that stuff really fell into place for us. I, th I think that's really common with, like, making any kind of art mm -hmm. is, like, yeah, if you if you're if you get too much like oh it's not going down like I want call it off like yeah. like it just will be whack yeah and like 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 I feel like with music so much of my favorite music is like stuff where it's like you know like oh this band put out this in two thousand three I remember this from two thousand three mm -hmm. then they put out this from two thousand four it's like it's like 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 that video makes me think and i'm sure everyone that sees it of like that time yeah yeah you know what i mean for sure, for not, sure. and it's not like, i don't feel like it wouldn't be like that if it was like this crazy laborious <laughs> thing that went on over like months or something. exactly exactly and i think i think this project will always be really special to both of us but to me personally just because like you said it really did encapsulate that time in both of our lives and i think kind of just 
how things were just around us at that time. Yeah. And it's definitely something that I know that I'll be able to listen back on, you know, years down the line. And I know that'll take me right back to being on Bond Street and, you know, working with Manny, meeting him for the first time and kind of like, it's it's kind of weird. I always had this idea in my head that like, you know, someday I was going to be able to like, look, you know, look at my studio in my apartment or whatever and like, you know, hear the album that I made there and like, yeah. you know, have people be like, wow, so like you actually made this whole thing here. Like I just had this dream and it's it's cool that that's kind of come to fruition that now I have, you know, friends of mine who have known me or people that I meet for the first time come over and look and be like, so wait, is this really where you guys made this whole thing? <laughs> right, like, right. yeah, right here. <laughs> you know, a funny thing about the video, you were talking earlier about like, you know, feeling like, fat or whatever <laughs> which i struggle with the exact same thing and it's like you told me that you just had big bones what are you talking about well i do have big bones uh-huh, but okay. i'm also fat uh-huh. but you know it was really funny being in that video uh, it might sound strange but it's like it was a big moment of like self-acceptance for me mm. <laughs> because it was like i've done videos and i've done some that i or i've been in videos that i think are really good and it's like I'm just like a kind of, I know I don't look like the star of a rap video. (laughs) And I feel like people are always like, all right, do more with your hands. (laughs) Move around more, move your mouth more. It's just being like, just something about like being like, all right, you are like dress exactly how you dress otherwise. (laughs) (laughs) And just like show up here. And then just like put up your middle finger, and then, <laughs> and then I do that in the test, and you're like, actually, don't put up your middle finger, just sit there, and, and, I, and, and then having you guys be like, okay, great, Perfect, you did it. I was like, I was like, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. It was kind of like I felt like everybody in that video was kind of like they were not normal, like like normal people you would see in a rap video yeah you know yeah. but but i i felt like you made it like yeah these dudes are the the stars of our our video or yeah, something yeah. like that you know i feel like ddm's big thing on this on the video especially with the vignettes was keeping everybody as true to themselves as possible because i think you know he knew going into it that that would bring the best out of everybody and that would bring a whole other level of um genuineness to the video you know it's nobody in that video is trying to be anything else you know and it's it's weird like i said you know this being the first hip-hop project i've put out you know i kind of have the same thing where if someone were to look at me walking down the street they're not going to look at me and be like oh that guy obviously is a hip-hop producer (laughs) it's probably the last thing they would expect to hear from me um and i feel like that was such a cool thing about the video is that there wasn't anything in the video that i was doing that i felt like out of character like i I felt very much myself and that was another thing that you know, I kept pushing for, for DDM to do as well was to just kind of be himself in the video as well and just, you know, not worry about that big, you know, Chappelle moment that he, he likes to talk I about like so much. Moment. Which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But I but I kept telling him, like, this video was, like, supposed to be the stripped down, you know, just kind of raw, you know, look into who we really are, you know, who he yeah. is as a rapper, who I am as a producer, and just kind of like a stripped down, real look at who we are. Right, right, right. Well, see, here's the thing. Hmm, well. Okay. Your vignettes were designed with you in mind. So each vignette was designed. Like, the good thing about, you know, 
being in such a diverse uh, creative space and meeting all these cool people at the Crown, at these different, you know, clubs in the arts district, is that you meet really interesting people. Yeah. So each vignette was designed around that person's personality. So every, that's why it looks authentic, because every one of the people in the video, I designed it specifically for the type of person that they are. Right. You know right, what I'm right, saying? Right, like, right. so, hey, when I see you, you kind of give me serial killer chic. Like, I feel like <laughs> you, like, are going to, you know, kill somebody in your basement, and you'd, like, have, like, you know, body parts in the freezer. In the you know, best way possible. In the best okay. way possible. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm not going to make him do anything crazy. He's just going to sit there and look super imposing. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. You know, hey. But it's kind of crazy, yeah. though, because you, you, it does look imposing, but at the same time, it looks so peaceful. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, this, like, gentle giant kind of quality yeah. to you that I think is really cool. Yeah. <laughs> it works. Yeah, for sure. Cool. <laughs> are you doing more videos from this project? Or yeah, we are planning the Mayweather video. Oh, nice! For, you know, because yeah. I got a Hammership album. Man. I'm sorry. <laughs> that was the trade off. I got my matinee moment. He has the Mayweather yeah. moment next. So the Mayweather video. Oh, it's giving production. Okay, <laughs> it's giving. You know, we gonna have dancers. It is giving a whole sequence and boxings and. Ooh. I just want to put this out there. John Waters, if you're listening, we would like your assistance with the Mayweather video. Mm. Please, if you would love to make a cameo, it would be great. You know, I know that you get your mail at Atomic Books and that you're at Club Charles sometime. You know, um, I did go to the same high school as Tracy Turnblad. I did go to the Radio Shack and Serial Mom. You know, I am from Baltimore City. You know, hey. You know, I could see it, man. <laughs> you guys got tour plans going down? Yes. Awesome. Okay. So we had South by Southwest coming out. Uh, we're crossing our fingers. Uh, hopefully, we'll have a showcase there. It, it, it looks like it may happen. Um, a couple of dates we're doing. We're we're doing a show January twenty third with Easy and um, Kane Mayfield. Oh, awesome. Hey, Mayfield. He's a lineup room guy. You know, yeah. uh, my former label mate over at Mania Music um, for Mu- Movable Feast that's at uh, um, Metro Gallery. And, you know, it's to benefit Movable Feast. And they're a group, great group of people. They help uh, folks with cancer and critical illnesses, HIV, AIDS, things of that nature. So it's a benefit show. So come out. It's to raise funds for that. Um, and we're working on a few dates, you know, up and down the eastern seaboard and possibly on the west coast. Oh, awesome. Anything else you guys want to mention? Oh, thanks for having us. We really appreciate it, man. Christmas time is here. Yeah. Merry Christmas and cheer. I got that on DVD. 